Uh, the reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, reading from chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. Uh, it'll be on the screen, I imagine, and it's also in the Bibles that are at the pillars at the end of the rows. So 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 22. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was really encouraging to meet Peter from the Philippines. And one of the things he told me that gave me enormous encouragement was the fact that in his church in the Philippines... On a normal Sunday service, the uh, sermon goes on for two and a half hours. <laughs> but he said, this is a special service, and there it goes on for four hours. So uh, uh, the, we're making a slight amendment to today. Come home to lunch has been changed to come home to dinner, okay? And uh, we'll see how we get on. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to enjoy being here today, and we want to... Uh, be entertained, but far more than that, we want you to speak to us. So I pray now that the words that uh, I use may be used by you to speak to us, and that the words that speak to us don't get left in the church, but go home with us and make a difference as we seek to build your community here in Camberley. Amen. Okay. We're building our community, and uh, so far we have uh, looked at being devoted as a community, praying, being expectant, and sharing characteristics of the early church, as in that passage which we're going to come to in Acts chapter 2, which described the first Christians as they met together. And today we come to gathering I was looking for inspiration. I, I looked through my um, uh, limited book of uh, li um, library of books. I don't read very much myself. Couldn't find anything on gathering, so I went uh, into the kitchen to see whether in Pam's book of uh, uh, Pam's library of books there was anything. Of and I found something just next to her Bible. Uh, that's Mary Berry's baking Bible, by the way. Uh, and here it is: gatherings. Fantastic, I thought. Now my sermon is written for me, and then I open the page and it says, Recipes for Feasts, Great and Small. Not so helpful, although we're going to come back to this towards the end of the sermon, because gathering to eat is an important part of gathering. So let's just look at the passage in Acts chapter 2. We're just going to take um, uh, uh, certain uh, parts of that. They devoted themselves, do we have this on the screen Dave, yes, here we are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
All believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's from the last verses of Acts chapter 2. And we're thinking today about gathering. Now, gathering is a, a primary expression of a word which is there in the opening sentence there, the one we've highlighted, fellowship. It's a Greek word called koinonia, and it means commonness, having things together, being intimate together, participating together, and being community together. And you can't uh, have that unless you gather. Of course, the techno um, uh, files will say, well, you can have virtual communities. Of course you can. But for us to be physically together is an important part of our life together as Christians. And we're going to look at that today. And just so you've got some idea as to where we are, so there are four points to what I'm going to say, and these are those. First of all, meeting together is fundamental to the Christian community. Secondly, we're going to look at why it's so important. Thirdly, we're going to look at some of the challenges in the 21st century to us meeting together. And lastly, as with every good sermon, so what? What can we do about it to make ourselves more like that early church? Okay, so let's go to number one. Meeting together is fundamental to the Christian community. So let's look at how the early Christians expressed this meeting together. It says they met together every day. It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Quite a different sort of environment to the one in which we live. And for us to understand what it meant for them to meet together, we need to just put on one side our understanding of what, about what Christian homes looked like in the first century AD, and we need to look at uh, uh, what uh, uh, it looks like um, uh, when the archaeologists get working. This is a reconstruction of uh, uh, the city of uh, Capernaum. And uh, if we look again at uh, uh, the next uh, slide, which is not the one you've got on the screen, you'll see that there's some archaeological sites there which show us the environment uh, in which people used to live. And we know that in the first century, uh, people, not just the Christians, but people used to live together in many communities. And everybody would have their own room, but the rooms of a particular extended family would then have a courtyard around them. So people had some private space, but most of their life was spent together in the community. Uh, and that's what would mean, would mean for example, uh, if somebody got married an extra room would be built on so that the man and his wife could live together in that community. And that's infused through the New Testament. So, for example, when we hear the story about the uh, bride and the groom coming back to the house, that was when the house was ready for them to come back to live in. It's true of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Jesus' experience as well. Look at this verse, these verses from Mark uh, chapter 2. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum, Capernaum, by the way, was the place where he lived in his ministry years. When he came back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. 
and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking to them. And those of you who know the story that follows, there were so many people that the person who was paralysed couldn't get close to Jesus, so what did they do? They took the roof off in order to let, to, to, uh, let him in. And it's a wonderful thought, isn't it, that this would be Jesus' private space. They were all there, and he wasn't so house-proud uh, that he didn't mind them taking the roof off in order for those who needed to see him to see him. Challenging thought for those of us for whom our home is only a castle to which others are not invited. It also gives us some meaning to where in John's Gospel, uh, we often say this at uh, burial, uh, at funeral services, we talk about, in my Father's house, Jesus says, there are many rooms or mansions in the, old, in the older translations. And it suggests that Jesus is using this example of saying, if you're in the family, we'll make room for you. And add it on. So that was uh, the background. And as for eating together, there's quite a lot of evidence uh, that in the early days of the uh, Christian church, the meal that people had together became a communion service. It wasn't just having a wafer and a sip of wine. People met together for eating, and during that service, they would, during that meal, they would also remember the Lord's Supper. Now, that's a little bit different from our experience today. But we know that in 1 Corinthians, which is probably written around AD 60, 65, one of the earliest New Testament uh, uh, letters, uh, Paul says this. He says, So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? So the early church, even within 30 years of Jesus having died, had got it wrong and had moved from there being a time of unity when you eat together to being a time of disunity. It was a bring and share supper where it was all bring and no share. Instead of having everything in common... It was an opportunity to show how superior your cooking was. And so Mr. and Mrs. Waitrose would look down at those new immigrants, the oldies or the littles, and say, how sad it is that there are people like that in our congregation. Not what it was intended to be at all. And it didn't take the church long to fall from this early good practice of sharing everything together to deciding that they had to separate out the eating together from the reminder of the communion of the Last Supper. So within a hundred years, this early meal, which was called in uh, uh, the early church the Agape meal, or the love feast, became a separate event uh, from Holy Communion. And we get some idea of how critical it was, when uh, th this meal, when we learn that the early Christians were accused by their detractors of cannibalism because these non-Christians heard about their Christian neighbours saying, let's go and we'll eat flesh and blood. So it was critical that people met together and they ate together. So gathering, as expressed in the New Testament church, was on the Sabbath day, which moved from a Saturday to a Sunday to reflect the Lord's resurrection. 
and it was also reflected in shared meals and in open homes. So that's the first point. Meeting together is fundamental to the Christian community. Now let's look secondly about why meeting together, that's to say koinonia, fellowship, is so important to us today. Here's some reasons. First of all, because when we gather together as Christians, Jesus is there in a special way. We can't understand it because we know that as individuals we can meet with Jesus. But he says in Matthew 18 verse 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the middle. So there is a very special sense the reality of Jesus to us is made greater when we meet together as a Christian family, whether it's in small groups, in just house groups, or in large gatherings like this. The presence of Jesus, real to us at any time, is particularly evident when we meet together. And perhaps when we eat together, he is even more real. You remember the verse, Revelation 3.20, which some of those young children should have known and quoted when Tom was asking about a verse from Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and comes to uh, and opens the door, and I will come in and will do what? Not have a chat. I will eat with him and he with me. There's the story of the Emmaus Road at the end of Luke's Gospel, where the two disciples um, meet Jesus, and what do they say? They say he became apparent to us in the breaking of bread. So meals are very <coughs> are very important. The second reason why it's so important is because as Christians, we're not only called to God, we're called together. The best illustration, and the one most frequently used in the New Testament about the church, is the body of Christ. And we are indeed a body with different characteristics, but a single entity. Koinonia is important to us for another reason. It's why the phrase, one another, appears no fewer than a hundred times in the New Testament. Look at uh, this verse that's coming on the screen from Hebrews, where it has two of the hundred one another's. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, <coughs> as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. So even in the early church, there was this tendency to move away from gathering together and just being on your own. So it's a human failing that we need to resist if we're to get all the blessings that there are of being part of the body of Christ. Okay, so we've looked at uh, the fact that uh, uh, fellowship meeting together is fundamental. We've looked at the reasons why. Let's look at some of the challenges that there are that face us as a church in the 21st century. We don't need to do too much convincing that life has speeded up since Jesus' time. All sorts of reasons. We're busier than we were before and the trend is likely to continue. All the things that make life easier today make life more complicated. Employment, technology, communications and the rise in prosperity all make inroads into the time that we have for building our community. Let's look at each of those just for a moment. You won't need convincing. Anyone who doesn't feel that they're busy is probably living in a wonderful world of their own. 
employment, employment. Our jobs require us to work to get, work longer, to be more available, to travel further, to achieve more. Everything is driven. The idea of a nine-to-five job is a delight for some people, but not a reality. Take technology. The telephone, the newspaper, and the daily post delivery, which many of us knew as children, have been now added to by email, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Netflix, smartphones, tablets, and everything, in, everything instant, and probably an awful lot of other apps that I can't even uh, understand. You know, I looked up on uh, at Google, which is one, one, of, the, um, uh, one of the offending articles, uh, uh, to find out how long people spend in front of a screen during the day. It's from the BBC, so it must be true. Do you know how many hours of our waking day, the average, average, not the most, that people spend in front of a screen of one sort or another, whether it be a TV screen, a smartphone, or an iPad, or a computer, or something like that? Have a little guess. It's more hours than we spend on average asleep. Eight hours, 40 minutes. And the average sleep is 8 hours, 15 minutes. So we're more time in front of the screen than we are with our eyes uh, closed. So that all puts pressure on us. Communications, the ability to travel what were once impossible distances in a day or a weekend, to get to work, to visit friends, to visit families who no longer live close together and therefore have to be visited at some distance all take their toll. If we have holidays, you no longer ask people, where are you going on holiday this year? You say, where are you going on holiday this month? Because people are going away so much. All this is fighting against us being gathered together as Christians. And then there's prosperity. The endless choice of things to buy, to replace, to improve, to change, to upgrade, all takes time. Oh, I've got to renew my insurance. No longer just happens. If it does happen, by the way, you're probably being stung. You know, you have to go onto one of the money.com websites to find out, and then you have to do change this. All that puts pressure on us. And what happens? Well, it's no surprise that with the spare time we've got, the last thing many of us want to do, and I mustn't, you know, some people will still want to do it even if they're very busy. The last thing many people want to do is to gather together and just have time with other people. Our homes become castles and we think, thank goodness I can close the door and if there's another church meeting, do I have to go? It's a duty. It's not part of what makes me a, a full person. So what can we do? This is the last of the points. If we want to build a community like the early church, we have to find ways of being countercultural. We have to resist some of those pressures in order to create the time to be the people that God wants us to be. We are not defenceless in the face of this onslaught, but it requires conscious effort. Now, and what I'm going to say, I'm going to ask questions because, you know, you're all coming from different situations. I don't want to impose upon you what may be just a projection of my own pressures and the like. So just take what uh, you feel that God is saying to you in what is to come. Am I giving in 
and receiving from the fellowship here in the best way possible in order for me to be the person God wants me to be. So I'm going to give you three questions. What about the fellowship, the koinonia of the meal table? We've already seen how important it was that Jesus meets us when we are gathered together. It's informal. It's not Campbelly-style excellence. But how about just having people around for a meal? Not to put on the, you know, get out the special crockery and cutlery and the like and do what you think will be expected and hope that people feel impressed. But just say, we're eating tonight. Isn't that surprising? How about coming round? People tell me, and I'm not a great new wine attender, as many of you will know, but people tell me that one of the advantages of new wine is that you can't put on airs and graces because you're all living in tents or in caravans and you only have a cooker that can only do a a boil-in-a-bag job. But do people enjoy it? Of course they do. We don't want to be the people like the people uh, that we want to be better than in terms of uh, giving them a, a better example by only living up to standards which we expect of them. So how about, how about just inviting people around? Hey, come on round. We've got room for another one at the table today. That's a warning to you who are coming home to us today, by the way. We're not putting on any specials, uh, airs and graces. So those of you who've been invited to our house, hard luck if you wanted a cordon bleu meal. But I have to say to you, I have to say to you, in November, I'm going on a, uh, a five-week course called Man with a Pan. <laughs> and I think that's a pan for cooking things in rather than putting other things in. And the idea is that men, this is uh, Alzheimer's society, uh, are putting this on not for people who've got Alzheimer's, but you know, recognising that many men don't know what to do when their, um, their partner um, uh, ceases to be the cook. So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to experiment on how well I do with some of you. (laughs) Alpha. Why is Alpha so successful? Well, there's all sorts of God-given reasons, but one of them is that you sit down around a table together. Not with business, but just having a meal together. So how, what could you do? And if you say, well, I live in a very small, uh, I'm just in a one-bedroom flat or whatever... How about just saying to somebody else, why don't we go out for coffee? Why don't we go down and have a meal together? Not an expensive meal, but how about that? That would make gathering around the meal table a reality. What about the fellowship or the koinonia of our time? Meals are important, but time is important too. I have to say to you, on, on Friday, I had an early morning prayer time with uh, some uh, of the guys and uh, finished about 10.30 and I knew I had to get back in order to prepare the sermon. And I thought, you know, I knew roughly what it was about. So I thought, no, no, I'm actually going to go and visit some neighbours who um, uh, have, uh, I haven't seen for a while and who I know have got particular issues. Got back about one o'clock. I mean, you may see the consequence of that in the quality of what I'm saying, but that's by the by. Spending time with people is a huge gift, and it's part of the gathering, it's part of the koinonia. So how about that? How about saying this coming week, now I'm actually going to make a commitment 
to do something that looks like it's impulsive by going to visit somebody or if you're not uh, physically uh, well, um, making a phone call. Um, and keep in contact. And I know various people here in the church whose ministry is on the phone. That's fellowship, that's koinonia, even if it's not a physical gathering. And then what about the fellowship of our homes? Do you consider the home that you have the castle to which you retreat to and think, thank goodness, nobody else is allowed in here? Well, it looks like Jesus had that experience too, that he did have a place he could retreat to, but it was also a mission base for him. He knew when it was right to open the doors and to say, come on in. Uh, the other day, uh, Paul Rana and I were up in London and we met his previous vicar from before he came to Camberley. And uh, this man, Jonathan, uh, who's minister of a very fascinating church just near the Bank of England, by the way, but that's by the by. This man opened his home to Paul for several months, Paul, I think it was, wasn't it? You know, several months. Uh, he was the vicar. He had two young children. He had a busy life. But Paul stayed with him. Now, it's not for all of us to open our homes to other people in that way. But perhaps there's just too much of a Camberley mentality of uh, you come if you're invited. Please don't surprise me by just turning up. I've got lots of things I need to do and I'll fit you in when I can. That's koinonia. And each of you, if the cap fits, wear it. But maybe we should make our homes more open places where uh, our private space becomes a place of haven for other people. It's a tricky one, and I don't want anyone to feel judged by what I've said, but let the Lord tell you whether or not um, you're being too protective and you're saving back something which is very special, meant to be shared for other people, just for yourself. Just uh, three words of caution, uh, and then we finish. First of all, if you think there is room for change, it may be necessary to be specific in how you're going to change that. So instead of saying, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, we must do something about that and go away and forget about it, maybe say to yourself, okay, okay in the next month, I'm going to make sure that we have a meal with somebody else. You know, book it in. It's that sort of, you know, when you're learning to ride a bicycle, you have to remember each particular thing until it becomes natural. But maybe do something specific. Next week, I'm going to have an, a, a conversation or a cup of coffee with somebody however busy I am. The second word of caution is that we're not talking here about just being more sociable. You can bet that when the early Christians met together, they didn't just talk about the latest fashion in togas or who was going to win the next chariot race. They talked about Jesus. Now that's, you know, we talk about how difficult it is to talk about Jesus to other people. I think as Christians we also find it difficult to talk about Jesus personally with other Christians. So those of you who are going to uh, uh, come home for lunch, a meal, here's a challenge. How about saying around the table, uh, when have you encountered Jesus in any of your experience in the last couple of weeks? Open out a conversation because it's about Jesus and about fellowship together, not just enjoying ourselves. And the third word of caution, and this is the last one, 
is that this is not simply a social gathering of Christian friends that we get on with, but also those that we don't know, or maybe even the ones that we think we won't like. One of the wonderful things about house group, and uh, forgive me all people that I've ever been in a house group with, and you'll take this the wrong way probably, is the wonderful thing is many of them I would never have chosen to be together in a house group with. But I've become very close to each of them. Why? Because we're together sharing koinonia. So if you do think it's time to be sociable, don't just go to those you already know and like. Look for people. No, be very careful, of course, because next time you get an invitation, you think, oh, he doesn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the people who you maybe think are on the periphery of your... Uh, your circle, because that's where Konoina comes. That's where the diversity of the church comes together. When we discover that we're all different parts of the body, and no, the foot's never met the elbow, but actually they realise that they both need each other. Okay, we need to bring this to an end, and let's just look back at these verses from Acts, and let the Lord speak to us about whether or not He wants us to do anything to deepen the koinonia, the fellowship, the gathering that we have. They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to fellowship. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Maybe we just keep those words on the screen as Tom now takes over.